Welcome to the Podcast Potables Network, part of Underground Sports Philadelphia. You can find all things Underground Sports Philadelphia at Underground PHI. You are listening to Process Potables, brought to you by the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave us a five-star rating, and a review on Apple Podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and untapped at Process Potables. For news, Info on breweries we've worked with and more, check out www.processpotables.com. Process Potables is on tap, but first, our friends in the presence of wolves. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a special bonus episode of Process Potables. This is episode 58. It is titled, Can the Post-Quarantine Sixers Turn Garbage into Gold? I'm joined by a very special guest, Brandon Apter, longtime friend of mine. You can find him on Twitter at BAPTER23. He is the host of the Sixers podcast, Garbage Into Gold. You can find them on Twitter at Garbage Into Gold, and you will find them on all of the same listening platforms you can find Process Potables. So go and subscribe to them. Give them a five-star rating and review, just like we always ask you to do for us, which if you haven't done yet, again, this is me asking. Brandon, how you been, dude? How you hanging in there uh, through this quarantine life that we are living? Uh Thanks for having me. First of all, uh, appreciate the plugs. Uh, yeah, you know, hanging in there as as best as a uh, mentally unstable person can hang in there during during a time like this. You know, to kinda, that, man. Uh, take the highs with the highs, or take the lows with the lows, and, and not get too high or too low. But you know, it's certainly been an interesting time. I'm not going out because my state of Georgia is. Can I curse on here? Oh yes, <laughs> governor's fucking stupid. Stayed open too yep. early, so you know I'm still quarantined here. Um, got a dog, postponed my wedding, so you know it's like the whole spectrum. And I've and I've definitely gotten worse at at Fortnite. Too many people playing, <laughs> so I've gotten much worse. Well, uh, they did just switch the skill based matchmaking up. We played last night and got three wins, so maybe mm-hmm. that will help out the situation that it's no longer skill based matchmaking except in duos, I believe. Oh, I need more of those dots. So, squad squads were uh, were pretty pretty easy last night. All right, I'll have to check um, that out. Yeah, we we had a good time. So I I thought that would be bad, but it, at least for last night, small sample size, it uh, it seemed to work out pretty well for us. Um. Fortunately, yesterday, the Sixers kind of gave us a lot of information to work with. So even though we did a pod Sunday night and we'll still do our normal pod this Sunday for episodes seven and eight of The Last Dance, wanted to really get into some of the Sixers stuff that came out yesterday. There were two different events, I guess you could say, that happened, but it they ended up being very, very similar. So last week, season ticket holders were were sent an email, I believe on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday, saying that uh, this Tuesday, which is now yesterday, this is going to be very confusing, I realize now, um, that they were going to do a virtual town hall session with Elton Brand and that season ticket holders were allowed to submit questions. I believe that was up until midnight Thursday, they could submit them. Uh, I did not do so, but then they said, you know, after the fact that they would uh, follow up with how you would be able to watch it. So 
as usual with the Sixers in general, and especially uh, with season ticket holder events, which I can tell you, I think this is my fourth season, that they are always confusing. They are always last minute, and they are always very, very poorly communicated. This was no different. So yesterday was the day that they were supposed to have that. And then it came out either late Monday or early Tuesday that Elton Brand was also going to have a conference call with the media, which I assume was probably as a result of knowing he was going to go on that virtual town hall and talk about things and was going to give the media the same availability. So there was basically, if you read any articles about the media availability, it ended up being the same stuff he spewed in the town hall. The only difference being that the town hall video refused to buffer and didn't really work, which apparently wasn't just me. I had still using people. that dial up. No, man, I got my MacBook no, Pro. Sixers oh. must still be using that. Oh, before. yeah. I, I don't know. It was weird how they did it. It ended up being like an embedded video through NBA.com and it wasn't even live. It was definitely pre-recorded. Uh, Mark Zumoff like hosted it, which is great to great to see and hear Mark. That was probably the only reason yeah. to tune into it was to get some Mark Zumoff. Uh, but and apparently it was exclusively for season ticket holders. But again, there there was nothing of substance here. It was only I believe just shy of eleven minutes. And through that eleven minutes, he only answered three questions from season ticket holders. Those questions: one was what was Elton's favorite moment of his playing career, mm. like what the fuck <laughs> like absolute soft walls. And I think it was him being drafted. It's like, this is the most, this is the stupidest shit that anyone could ever tune in for. And like, I don't even believe that a single season ticket holder submitted that question. They read their names, but I, I swear these were all made up because two of them are complete garbage. And the other one was just a same thing. He addressed in media availability. Um, I'm, I'm getting angry just talking about it. I apologize. <laughs> it's, it's just, I mean, I'm just cracking up. You're getting angry. This, this Sixers being the Sixers. Right. That's what I mean. It's like, I was so, like, ugh. before I could even get it to work, like I, I, I tweeted out a, uh, a picture of it with the, with the office meme of, yep, I'm ready to get hurt again. Cause like once all this came out, I was like, you know what? Like I, I've missed this. I'm ready for Sixers content. I'm really like, I really thought the town hall might be like, you know, maybe a live like 20 minutes or so of like maybe some interesting questions. And like, I, I don't know why I let this team continue to get my hopes up both in on court experience and, you know, perks of season ticket holders and whatnot. Uh, the second question was, um, you know, how he's basically being the GM during quarantine, which was basically like, I work from home. I do zoom meetings. I watch tape. Like, what do you think he does? He's doing the same shit. He's just not at the training facility or or in his office or whatever. He has to do it at home. Like it's not it doesn't really change anything. And then the third one was how is Ben doing, which was something he addressed on the conference call. And uh, you know, at this point it appears they've said that he he's you know, he would be available to play. It doesn't seem like they're really talking about if he's like fully out of it, you know, what percentage he would be at, but it does appear that at least by the time that they maybe start this up, he should be available. And to what degree, I, I don't think that was really made completely clear. Um, a couple other quick hits before we get into some of the only things that he really had worth actually discussing. Uh, as far as when basketball is coming back. So they had sent an email to season ticket holders earlier that day that I received regarding the rest of the regular season. And I also spoke to my season ticket rep to try and get more info on this and, and was able to speak to him. So 
they're crediting all season ticket holders for the regular season games that weren't played. They're, they're giving you the, the, the amount you pay per seat back and you can either get that in an actual refund or you can apply it to next season. If you're renewed, um, the difference is if you bought them on StubHub, StubHub's policy is that they are not refunding anybody until it is officially canceled, uh, which like is very confusing specifically for the Sixers being that their like main sponsor is StubHub. Mm. And and it seems like a really bad look for them that like, I mean, I, I you know, I appreciate them taking care of season ticket holders, but not taking care of all your fans who paid way more than that face value on StubHub at this point where it seems like you're pretty sure that even if they they play the regular season games, no one's going to them. They're not going to be played in front of a crowd. Um, that's what I called my rep to confirm as I was like, hey, they haven't actually announced the regular season isn't happening. What if they play the games and you've credited me back the money? And he was like, well, like you, you figure even if they do, you're not going. And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I, it's it's. I would imagine StubHub, I don't think StubHub would ever be one of those big businesses to like go bankrupt or anything during this, but it just seems like a, you know, a big business doing their big dick shit. Yeah. And I'm not saying that just to curse and sound cool on the podcasting and everything like that. But I mean, it's just like, unfortunately, this is how companies like that work. They have to, until like the the last possible minute, they have to make sure that they hold on to that money because especially now during this time, they're going to need all that money. I'm sure I, I mean, I haven't looked, but I would imagine that they'd probably have to lay off some people if they didn't have that money now. I, you know, I don't really know. I don't, I don't like how those places operate because it's obviously the fans go to these games, the fans pay for that. It should be the fans first. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just seems like a shitty situation for everybody to have to be in. But I would, I would certainly hope that if the games are not played in front of fans or not played at all, they offer more than a credit because you know the credit thing is just a cop out to try to keep the money so right yeah well i mean subhub is is, i'm sure once they get to that point i I think they've said that it it would be full refunds they're just not able to process them until the games are officially canceled um i I, again i like i don't agree with that but i guess i get it um but i mean i guess at least some credit to the sixers for getting the season ticket holders taken care of because this has been kind of a rough issue the only the only tough part like i don't really sell on StubHub because like i agree with you like i'm not really a fan of how that whole process operates but i do sell a good amount of games like i have a pretty pretty large circle of people who usually hit me up for a game or two every year so i'm able to kind of balance i go to probably about 60 percent and then sell 40 percent to people i know for you know reasonable prices right um the only tough part of that that I'm sure people are dealing with is like, you know, I sell them for more than that, that face value. So now, you know, I kind of, you know, expected to have that profit, never thought something like this would happen. So now I got to like kind of eat that difference back and, 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 and pay some of the people back who miss those games, which I, I have already taken care of for right. the record. But well, you're better than uh, StubHub right now. Exactly. That's that. That's my point. So uh, no, no thanks to them. But yeah, I mean, it's a tough situation at this point. I think most people are on board that we just want to get basketball back. Uh, my, my first real question to you, Brandon, is what are your thoughts on a season that, you know, abruptly just ends the regular season short and moves forward with the playoffs? Like, let's assume they have a normal playoff like they would, but they just freeze the standings where they ended. 
what are your thoughts on like if that's you know fair to everybody and you know looking back on this in a year or two do you think you know there's going to be any kind of like asterisk or like you know gray area on on valuing somebody who comes out of a not fully completed season or do you think that you know it's just the value of you know taking every game seriously up to the the latest point that you can yeah i mean i think it'll be like case by case i think that if they were to abruptly end the regular season and go into the playoffs and uh, crown a championship, whoever wins that championship, I don't think that they're going to take it any less like as players. I think the biggest effect that will happen for them is that if they win it on like their quote unquote home court or they're like a neutral court in in front of no fans, like the celebration is certainly going to be different, but I don't think, the players will look at it as an asterisk. Might it be a little less exciting for them because it won't be in front of fans? Maybe. Uh, in terms of ending the regular season and, and going straight to the playoffs, I think that's really the only route that the NBA can go right now, seeing that we're in early May and only like four or five teams are even starting to open their facilities to players. Um, and I think like in the East, at least, you know, the Wizards are like five and a half games out of the eight seed. And, um, you know, in the West, you have three teams like just outside the playoffs. So maybe you make it interesting and do, um, you know, a four or five game sprint between these specific teams that are on the fringe uh, to get everything warmed up while other teams play exhibitions or stuff like that and then go straight into the playoffs. Uh, but I mean, for me personally, I think it's gotten to the point where, yeah, if you need like a ramp up period and everything like that, I think as as much as I hate to say it, I think at this point it would just be smartest to shut it down for the year, plan for a new league year and 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 really just address the draft, how that process is going to work and make sure everything's in place to play with and and or without fans to start the 2020-2021 season, which, you know, at this point we don't know if that's going to start on time. Yeah, I pulled up the standings too. I'm glad you already had that. But the I thought the West was a lot closer. So what's actually interesting if you look at the standings is one, like even the ninth, like the ninth seed in the West, who is currently there's three teams: the Trailblazers, the Pelicans, and the Kings. They're all three and a half behind the eight seed Grizzlies. So yeah, they could make that up, but it's not like a half a game. Like three and a half is a pretty comfortable lead. Mm-hmm. And even to the point of how bad the bottom of each conference kind of is, like none of those teams would be in in the East either. They would just be behind Orlando. Right. So theoretically, if you freeze it right now, like you do have the top sixteen teams in, the top eight in each conference in, and as far as eight versus nine in their own conferences, they all hold fairly comfortable leads with, you know, uh, uh, most teams having somewhere between like sixteen and nineteen games left. So despite the fact that anything could happen, I don't think that there's really any team has that great of an argument to be like, you know, we're getting completely screwed if this is how it goes. So yeah. that's the only kind of fortunate part. I really thought the West was uh, was closer until I really just took yeah, a look at it. I think giving fans an opportunity in those cities like Portland, New Orleans, and Sacramento to see their team like maybe fight for a spot and you know, make it interesting if there's a way to do that in, because there's going to have to be some sort of ramp up period. Like they think, I feel like if they go straight into the playoffs uh, from like scrimmaging in the gyms, like there's just going to be injury on top of injury on top of injury. So 
Um, I, I mean, I, I think it would be cool to, to, if we don't see that, then maybe the, like the thunder and the rockets play each other for the fifth and the sixth seed. You know, how much does that matter? Don't really know. Or the, they, you know, play the jazz, the winner plays the jazz for the four seed or something like that to warm things right. up and get things ramped up and everything like that. So I think there are certainly a lot of scenarios that they can go in. I would be fine with them just keeping the 16 teams as they are now, because I think that's fine. Um, but again, I don't, I don't honestly think there's a realistic possibility of the league like ramping up and resuming before realizing, well, we'd have to push next year probably to start at like Christmas, which would be pretty cool to start like the league on Christmas. But at the same time, how does that affect years to come and such? Well, yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because that was going to be my next question to you was I had heard before all this started, even people suggesting that maybe the NBA shouldn't start till like Christmas because it kind of seems like until Christmas, it doesn't really even matter all that much. And Christmas Day is always really like the first big day of the NBA because you get all those primetime games on one day. At least you're starting to get an idea of who the, the top contenders are by that point and whatnot. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts on at least just this one time pushing it to start till Christmas and your thoughts on if that became the norm? Um, well, I guess I would then bounce a question to you is like, if it starts at Christmas, does it still end when it would usually end and would the season be shorter or would they still play 82 games and play until uh, what they normally start end like October, August. November. So it would go until like what june so i feel like it wouldn't make they like go in the june now the finals go in the june so they'd, yeah. they'd go till at least late july early august yeah so um i for so if they do it this upcoming time they're, they're going to play a shortened season i don't think they would then go to 82 because that'll be the one-off yeah. but i think that i kind of think that's what's going to happen anyway and i think that they're going to find out that that works out really well for them one, because although hockey's not really like a competitor to them, it is really annoying having those two sports really kind of on the exact same timeline. Yeah. They play the exact same number of games in a season. Most of the teams, you know, like share cities with each other. Like most teams that have an NBA team have an NHL team, so on and so forth. So like it, it's competition for, for views. It's competition for content. And also like that, that time when the NBA and NHL start is, you know, the, the second like quarter of the NFL season it's the world series usually or the aftermath of that if if not um so like if you just break up that rotation a little bit you get Chris, you get the NBA not starting till christmas which i think is would be huge as far as just like that's the tip off like everybody's going to watch all those games it's going to be the first time you see like it, they would do crazy numbers and then they're able to break it up where like they're not competing with the NHL playoffs. They're not competing with the beginning of baseball season and you split it up where like their finals, which are usually like the first week of June are like the first week of August, which the only thing I've heard to the negative of that is, Oh, well like, you know, that's like a big vacation time for people. And it's like, yeah, yeah I mean, so is, so is <laughs> June to some degree. Like June and is like, you then have graduation. to what happens to the draft. Like, right. do you get into an I mean, interesting yeah, I mean, situation every- where, I mean, I I personally think it w- it would be wild if you end up, you know, moving the season to Christmas and then doing the draft at the same time you normally do, and then those players just kind of meld into the team right away, oh, wow. um, and get that 
not 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 like play so they would not play or be eligible for like the tail end of that season but would get the experience of being in an nba locker room before actually suiting up and getting to play like it could be beneficial for college uh college i don't even hate the players. idea of letting, them, of letting them play like can you imagine a team that you know got the number one pick from the year or well how are they going to do the draft mid-season when the standings aren't done yeah that's him yeah, yeah so all okay, everything i just work. said doesn't matter <laughs> none of it, Dude, it anymore i was so interested in it too i was about to go and i'm like wait a minute and it probably matters like what happens with college basketball and the g league and the g league's new thing that they're doing right it's a lot of logistics because again like you mentioned the nhl and the nba share stadium so the tv deals and everything go into that and yep. in terms of who's gonna play where when geez Whew. Yeah, it, it's a lot, but like, it's so annoying that like, you know, it's like, it, you know, for example, let's say like Philadelphia, like one, yeah, you have to deal with everything that goes on at the Wells Fargo Center besides the sports, plus balancing of Flyers and Sixers and whatever else is going on in there. Cause I think, uh, like, I think they, they, the, like the lacrosse team plays there, I think, uh, and I don't know if there's like, a, if there's like a, a new soccer thing or something, the AFL was there, but it's not um i'm trying to think like what else is there right now i don't know but there's always like they always have the whole winter issue with like disney on ice yeah and there's a ton of concerts there and then you the um, that's when i visit i can never watch i can never go to games when i visit yeah and then like 97.5 has the has the flyers and the sixers but sometimes the flyers end up (laughs) on 93.3 sometimes like stuff ends up on like am dials like you don't even have the 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 capacity to carry like you know both games sometimes in in, in the right circumstances so um this might help a lot of that but yeah there's there's so much logistics to figure out gosh yeah i really love that idea of of having the draft during this that would be that would be crazy. It's not going to like, happen, but that would be crazy. No, it's not going to happen. I guess we just we just broke that concept. But man, like, can you imagine? Like, what what made me think of it was, what if you're like, you know, what if you had the number one pick, but you know, you were a bad team the last season, but you know, you you made a couple moves, and then this season you're like fighting for the eight seed, and then you're able to implement a number one overall pick and make a late rush. Like that would be such a hell of a storyline. And imagine how much that could do for like those like eight one matchups. Like imagine New Orleans makes the eight seed, but they they get Zion, <laughs> you know, with like two months left and ramp him up and get him ready to go. That'd like it's a much crazy. more it's so much more interesting than yeah. anything that ever happens, man. It, now I'm gonna have to figure out the way that you make that work because yeah. that's just super. That's super exciting to me. I, that would make it so much more interesting because yeah, we know the, maybe, like, the NBA of all places is the worst for one eight matchups. Like it never happens. Just, this is a way to maybe, that up. Maybe you try to pair it up with an all star break of of sorts, like a, a, yeah. an all star break, or maybe like an in season tournament, like they were talking about doing. That's true too, because this helps the tanking issue as well, don't you think? Like, what yeah. if it was only based off till the All Star break, and then you weren't punished for figuring it out in the second half? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I mean, it would. Again, I don't think it's ever going to happen, but that would be no, a really, really fun change to the dynamic of how the league operated. We're gonna have to, we're gonna have to work on this together, buddy. We got to like it won't happen, but I think we need to propose the official pitch on how it makes sense. Yeah. All right. Anyway, quotables so, now coming on the. Pro- <laughs> <laughs> so as far as other logistical challenges that that are coming out of this, so Elton all did talk a lot um, about the draft in this. 
um, and just like the way that they're working around a lot of the situations. So uh, he did mention that they were one of the first teams to pull their scouts off the road, kind of seeing this whole this whole issue coming up. Um, so they've had their scouts focused on just film and whatnot for a lot of the time. Elton talked about how he uses Zoom and um, is constantly talking to agents, to, to prospects, that the draft is a multi-year process anyway. So like, it's not like you just start scouting this class this year. Like they, you know, they've had grades on guys for a while and now you get to see, you know, at at least as late as they played, you know, evaluate that and figure out where you're at from there. Uh, He mentions having up to five picks in this draft and wanting to draft talent to grow. He was asked about, you know, their ability or inability to build homegrown talent around Ben and Joel, and he referenced that, you know, they've developed Shake Milton, Furkan Korkmaz, and Matisse Steibel. Uh, those are the only three people he was able to come up with, which kind of tells you that it has been a problem for this team. And compounding that problem is the loss of Mark Eversley. Uh, we talked about this a little bit on the last episode, but Eversley now the GM of the Chicago Bulls. Elton Brand did come out and give a lot of credit to... Uh, Vince Rosman, who's their VP of scouting, uh, brand is quoted as saying, I give him a lot of credit. He ran our pre-draft process last year and is doing a great job again this year. A lot of deep dives, a lot of film work. I've been talking to agents, families, players. I have some calls today. The five, poten- the five, potentially five picks. We think this is a deep draft and we're excited. We were one of the first teams to pull our scouts from the road so we could get some video if it got to the point where we are today. Uh, so I guess Brandon, my question is one, uh, just in your opinion for, you know, whatever you've, you've heard or, or read about the Eversley thing, you know, how much do you think him going to Chicago, especially at a time like this impacts or, or doesn't impact the, the Sixers overall, uh, scouting and drafting process. And two, do you think that, you know, this whole quarantine thing might, you know, give them any kind of advantage or disadvantage to any other team as a result? Uh, as a result in the, like in the draft, we're talking about the draft. Yeah. Like, like the, the, just the fact that they have, they can't, you know, go and get, you know, face to face workouts with guys. Um, you know, we see circumstances where that sometimes pays off and you see a guy work out and you're impressed and it, and it goes well. And we see times where it doesn't, um, you know, we obviously can all think back to Markel Fultz where, you know, he has this incredible workout here and blows us away, but we know the one that he did in Boston, he, he basically couldn't shoot. Yeah. And that was a big reason why they were turned off of him. And then, uh, you know, I know you read, uh, Tang to the top. It had, uh, you know, uh, Aaron, uh, was it like Yitzman? Is that, am I saying that uh, you, right? Your own. Yep. Your own. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you, you had him on and everything, but I know he talks about, you know, after they draft him the first time he kind of shows back up and, and it no longer looks remotely the same. And they're like, what the hell is going on? Like, this isn't the kid we drafted. Yeah. All this stuff. So like the, the in-person stuff tends to kind of go, you know, in completely opposite ways. It, it can either really, you know, change your perspective for the, for good, or it can possibly mislead you because, you know, a guy just has a good day. So now instead they're focusing more on film where you're seeing these people like in games, but you're seeing a ton of it. So you're not really looking at a one-off, thing as much as you're focusing on on the on the whole picture of what they've done to that point right yeah i mean it's really tough to say whether they'll have an advantage or not um obviously the 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 thing that sticks out is that you know it would be beneficial for the sixers for the season to end now because they would get a first round pick 
and I feel like that could be valuable not only to um, not only to them, but valuable to them in potential trade deals because we know how their roster is and everything like that right now. Um, so I, I think in terms of that, I think they could they can benefit now w- with the whole Eversley going to Chicago and and their scouting and uh, pre-draft process being affected and everything like that. I guess unfortunately that's going to have to be a wait and see thing. And a lot of people we know what the like the majority of the city feels about Brett Brown and and the leash is already very very short on on Elton Brand and the moves that he he's made and everything has not worked out well and we have not been able to see this team in the playoffs but i mean this draft this whole offseason in general could be make or break for him i do think maybe it'll benefit brand because you know looking at film and seeing how the nba develops and and how the the league is developing from what it was to to now where it is is like a three point league. I feel like maybe it'll be enlightening for him and the other people involved in the draft process to f- to kind of figure out you know what they've been doing wrong and how they can correct that. You know, Matisse Thybul, a great prospect, but at the same time, when's the last time the Sixers ever drafted like a bona fide scorer that wasn't like Markel Fultz? Like we thought he was going to be a bona fide scorer, but it's just like at this point. I feel like it's less about the player development and more about the player. You need to right. be able to draft players that have like high upside um, because now I don't think that they necessarily need somebody that can come in and make an impact right away. But yeah, I feel like I'm going on on a tangent now, but I just feel like it's just one of those things that we'll have to wait and see in terms of whether it benefits them or not. This past process of, them selling second round picks didn't seem super. Um, uh, it didn't make me feel very confident about the future no, of, of their all. drafting at all. But I don't. I don't know. Like what kinds of prospects you can get in in the mid twenties in this upcoming draft and everything like that. But their player development, as you mentioned, has not been good. Uh, whether you look back as far as the Nerlens Jaw days. Uh, and their surplus of centers or the amount of time that it's taken to develop a Korkmaz or a Shake Milton. Like that's say that now because it's happened this year, but I mean, it's, it's kind of like because of the circumstances like Korkmaz gets more minutes, gets more comfortable, going to play more injuries happen. Milton gets to play more. So it's like circumstance. You can't say, Oh, we were good at developing them. No, they just got to play more. Well, yeah, I mean, there's there's give and take with that. Um, the the time that it took for them to even get to this point where they're you know best case passable bench players um, isn't really something to pat yourself on the back too hard about. So I agree with yeah. that. Um, I do think that you know the development of the G League and you know the Sixers especially, I think, do a great job with the Blue Coats. That I think that. To to Brand's comments in regards to this and, and potentially having up to five picks, I think that last year, I think he's cognizant of that, and I think now that they've spent so much of of the cap and they've lost so many assets, that now the mentality does kind of have to change to, you know, hoping you hit on a long shot or two, even if it takes two to three years for them to get here. Mm-hmm. But that's the beauty of having you know four second round picks is these are guys that cost you essentially nothing when we know they're going to be short on cap space and. These are guys that you can send to Delaware 
And now that you have guys like Shake and 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 Furcon and Matisse that are well, Furcon we have to figure out. He has the option for next year. I'm sure they'll pick up. Um, but you know, Shake and Matisse are here for you know the next four years, I believe at least each, um, on on very very reasonable salaries that they kind of buy you time on the next wave of guys yeah. so that you can take those flyers. So like if they start selling those picks again, it's going to be a big problem, but hopefully between having this time to scout, have doing it based on film. And, and especially when you're talking about second round players, like second round players are guys, you're not getting a lot of time yeah. to bring in and work out anyway. So now you can really do your homework on them. You need to uh, see development out of like Zaire Smith too, because that, right. I mean, that whole trade that they did a couple of years, like that looks disastrous now. Like I know well, it, was, it was a, it was a very unique situation, what he went through. But what I mean is that since they're a team that wants to be able to compete for championships, I don't necessarily, they need to find the in-between between guys with high ceilings and guys that can compete right away. And I guess I'm just Zaire Smith at the time was one of those picks where it's just like, well, this doesn't really fit like the growth cycle that they're looking at. Um, he was off the timeline, but the thing is, the pick can be questioned. The trade, I don't question. Right. I don't think Macau Bridges is moving the needle for this team at all, and you fleeced another first round pick. So, I don't have a problem with the trade. If you have a problem with with who they ended up picking in it, maybe. Um, I think we have seen development from Zaire, not at the rate that anybody hoped, and definitely not at a rate acceptable for, you know, any franchise. But it's there. I think that at least next year he would project to be a bench player here, and not in Delaware anymore. Is that good enough? No, probably not. But you know, we'll I'm see. Ju- I'm just sick of like the drafting of non-shooting players. Right. I thought that would yeah, change the Landry Shamet, but you know. Yeah. Especially when he goes seventeenth, like but that's a spot a guy like Bridges or Landry Shamet, then you don't need to make like gigantic trades and max deals right away. You get, right. like you said, that leeway that you have for the next wave of guys behind Milton and Thibel and and Korkmaz. You know, you have guys that have more than just a skill. Like Thibel obviously needs to improve offensively now, just defensive uh, specialist. So yeah, it's it's. A lot of waiting and seeing, I feel like. Yeah, and when Elton brought those three up, I think he was also asked about, you know, what does Matisse need to work on? And he basically was just like, oh, we're happy with where Matisse is, this, this, this. I was like, dude, just answer the question. The, the kid needs an, an offensive game. Like, this kid has to be a contributor much more than being a, a good defensive guy off the bench. He has to be able to shoot. He has to be able to score. He doesn't have to be the team-leading scorer. He doesn't have to be the best three-point shooter on the team, but he's got to be able to do those two things to a much better degree than than he showed after you know the first two months of the season. Yeah, and I think that's, like we talked about at the beginning, I think that's a victim of player development. I also think that could be coaching. Um yeah, unfortunately, I'm a big Brett Brown guy, and I don't want to get into too much length about this. But I feel like when you get stuck, I, I, in a, I want to ask you about him. So don't give your don't yeah, give your take about that. I, I, I know you wrote on Twitter about it. When and, you get and I stuck in a system, uh, guys like Matisse Thibel and Furkan Korkmaz to this point will suffer until something changes. 
Yeah, I, I can agree with that. Um, I want to ask you about Brett Brown, and then I want to get into what we think could come of a of jumping into the playoffs and facing Boston in the first round. But before we do that, got to give a quick shout-out to our sponsor, the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. Who's the next person you know who will be buying or selling a home? Have them contact the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway for the most trusted process when it comes to real estate in New Jersey. Call today. 856-904-5636, that's 856-904-5636, and mention Process Potables for exclusive savings. Okay, so I kind of cut you off there. I want to I talk to you about Brett Brown, because I know me and you for a long time ha- have been pretty aligned on our feelings about Brett, but uh, I don't have the tweet in front of me, but I think about a week or two ago, you, you kind of put out the idea that you it seems like you've kind of turned and you might be more on the side of Brett needs to go at this point. I just want to know, you know, if that was something, you know, we all tweet things when we're angry, if that was something you've <laughs> back a little bit, or if you've remained in that camp. And if so, was there any particular thing that, that really kind of pushed you over the edge? Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that pushed me over the edge and maybe I read it incorrectly or uh, interpreted it wrong because it was in a quote, but the Ben Simmons, Jackie McMullen, ESPN article, there was something that Ben talked about accountability um, and how he has not really grown in that aspect of the game and how he feels that he needs somebody to hold him accountable and he needs to learn to become accountable for himself. I think as a professional athlete, you obviously will grow and learn about accountability Uh, whether you're a leader or role player, learn and and be in your role there. So I guess my thing that combined with the stuff that we heard from Jimmy Butler about the film sessions, not being uh, interactive, JJ Redick then refuted that on Sixers beat with Rich Hoffman and Derek Bodner, but it's the, it's the constant stuff that has to go with him not really changing things. And we saw with the roster this year, he essentially tried to turn Al Horford into what like Ursan Ilyasova was into a stretch four. He's trying to put guys into the positions that other guys were in because that's when the team was better. They, they are better with pace. They were better uh, with guys like Dario and Rocco surrounding their stars. Uh, and he's trying to fit these new guys into the system that, worked in the past but it's no longer working my co-host jesse larch and i on garbage into gold made the comparison to chip kelly uh to the respect of demarco murray was one of the best running backs in the national football league came here and then instead of running downhill he went into chip kelly's system and ran sweeps and it sucked we all know how that went from uh, NBC Sports Philadelphia tracking his fucking car on the turnpike to like wishing he was gone sooner. And so that's that's kind of how I view it. I think that it's just to the point where Brett has run his course here. I love Brett. I love hearing him talk. But I think to this point right now, Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid need somebody to hold them more accountable because I feel like the leash is just too long right now. And I don't think that they're going to succeed with him in that position anymore. When you hear stuff about accountability and you see 
kind of how the team is trying to operate. Uh, you, you can't run like dribble handoffs with Josh Richardson like you did for JJ Redick. It's like right. so frustrating. And so his lack of adjustments has then hurt this new roster of a team that just looks like they don't know how to play basketball sometimes. And it's roster construction and it's coaching. But I feel like as a coach, like a good coach would be able to look at these players and put them in positions to where they can play to their strengths. And that's just not anything that I have seen at all. Okay. There's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. And I'm going to try and try and touch on everything I can from that. I don't disagree with you necessarily. And I think that like our past, maybe like the last five episodes we did before the season ended, we started having some of those conversations where we were just like a little unsure if we were still going to die on the Brett Brown Hill. Uh, a couple things you touched on. I mean, one, I get what you're saying about the adjustment and, and maybe forcing guys into roles that I definitely can see. Uh, it's very clear that Al Horford wasn't being utilized to do the things he was best at. And he was playing at, you know, out of, out of role, out of position, basically for this point in his career. I think you, you combine that with the clear, there was a clear drop off in, in his overall talent level. It appeared, but he was also not, you know, getting to use his skill set to the to the best way that he can. That does fall on Brett a little bit. I think to any of those specific, you know, fitting, let's say like a you know a round peg in a square hole or whatever situations. Not trying to be the apologist, but there's got to be something to be said about just the roster turnover he's dealt with in three years. And the only thing I would say I completely disagree with you on is I don't think that this team was best suited with Dario and Rocco uh, as the guys. Like I don't know if you necessarily meant it this way, but like those, that is not that is not the best version of this those, team. I meant those type of guys, the guys that uh, emphasize the strengths of the two superstars. The spacing, okay. so yes. not those two guys specifically, but the spacing and the pace. Right. So what? I, so what I was going to say, and I think we agree here, then is like those two did kind of make Joel and Ben look the best. I think we've seen at the same time. I will agree with that, but that team wasn't ever going to win. So I think we all kind of agree they needed more talent, and they obviously did that. I mean. I think it's 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 such an, an unfortunate series of events based on on the turnover you have. Like you have that Rocco Dario team that was so fun and had so much energy, and you brought in Bellinelli and Ilyasova, and you go on that crazy run, and it seems that they have all the pieces in place and could be that that team that just gets hot and goes off, and then you realize they're they are just completely outmatched on defense and they don't have the closing power. You go and solve it in a way that I think everyone figured made sense on those issues. You bring in Jimmy Butler, who can defend and also be a closer. And he did both of those things, you know, at least to, to what we mostly expected, maybe a little bit less on the defensive end and probably a little better on the closing end. Uh, if you ask me outside of, you know, that, that one Toronto game where they had like three straight shot clock, shot clock violations, but. Um, for the most part, did what he was brought in to do. And then Tobias, to a lesser degree, um, you know, has been kind of up and down 
and and uh, you know I, I've tried Just, to defend uh, that as much as I can. I didn't know Tobias Harris was like a back into the post mid range fadeaway guy. Like when we got him, I was just like, oh, this is going to be awesome. Like he's the three point threat uh, yep. in the corner. Uh, aside from the dribble handoff with JJ that we need, and I was just like, okay, this summer. I want Tobias Harris because this team needs spacing. They don't need Jimmy Butler to take the ball away from Ben, who they shouldn't take the ball away from as a developing 23 year old. They should have Tobias Harris there to stretch the floor because he's like a Rocco size guy that can play the three or the four. He's gotten a lot better defensively, but I mean, again, like something has to be said for players coming here and getting worse. Like yes. Something has to be said about that. Well, I don't know if it's that, coaching or how they develop their players or the system or the scheme. I don't know. That's the biggest thing that, that I think a lot of people can agree with. And I do as well. And really like, I, I still was trying to find excuses for that until Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson, because it did not make any sense that they came over here and looked like they completely forgot how to play. Yeah. Um, that, that was, that was the, you know, like to the same like you could have made the argument prior to that deal that there were ups and downs to all those things because jimmy came in and played pretty well for the most part adjusting to a new system bellinelli and Ilyasova looked like looked like gods here for a little yeah. bit well so the i think you have to give four and then bellinelli just replace reddick in the i mean it's this dribble handoffs that's all right, dribble but, handoffs but, and yeah drives still, and they, they came here and they were implemented and you yeah. got crazy good results so you have to give him credit for the same thing but the glenn robinson and alec burks thing really was the last straw on like what the fuck dude how do how do you get two guys that everybody wanted and we had seen them play you know like 50 plus games for golden state and put up pretty damn good numbers being the guys that were being focused on since nobody was playing there yeah and and they can't do anything here for the most part. That that's really where I I turned a little bit. I think that was the biggest indicator for me that I was scared. But yeah. the two yeah. things the two things I look at is one. I don't know if you saw this. I think this was part of the media presser. This was definitely not in the town hall. But um, I believe it was stated that Elton mentioned that he is he is supportive of Brett Brown refusing to bench Ben because he doesn't shoot. And that was a huge red flag to me and goes to what you're saying is, you know, accountability, player development. Like one of my biggest arguments for defending Brett up until, you know, the second half of this season was basically that I felt like his, the fact that he's been here since Joel got drafted and has been through so much with him. And I think they have a great relationship. And the fact that he has known Ben since he was a kid, you know, coached his father, like, like goes very far back with him. I just felt like if you weren't going to be able to get those two to really figure it out with Brett, I was worried you wouldn't be able to get them to figure it out with somebody else. And then to a lesser degree, I don't know if you've been watching The Last Dance. Yeah. But like we've, we've been watching it like religiously and we break it down every week on here now. But like I, I never really knew, even growing up and, and loving those Bulls teams and that really being the first like thing that got me into basketball, like I don't really ever remember to myself at least like thinking that Jordan and Phil were that close. Like I, yeah. I didn't think there was any we issue. T- we talked about the same I- thing. Shed a new like the whole series has been like, holy shit, like Phil Jackson. 
Yeah, Jordan. and and I really like I I can't believe how like ride or die Michael Jordan was for him. Like you know, saying like if Phil's not back, I'm not back. Like I'm not fucking playing for another coach. Like that's crazy, and that's always been my biggest fear. Like I don't think Joel or Ben would do that, but and and I mean this a lot more mainly toward Joel than Ben. But like I think Joel is going to be very very unhappy when when Brett Brown gets fired, which I think is is very possible. Um. And I'm just really worried about pissing off our biggest star, who I already think is probably pretty unhappy going through the Al Horford thing, going through all he's gone through with this team with doctors and playing time and and, and the arguments he's had with that the entire time that he's been here. And uh, like, I definitely don't think that he ever liked Brian Colangelo and probably was not happy that he was the GM for, you know, two plus years. And, And now and now his the only coach he's really known. And and a guy that's gone through everything with him from from being drafted to the injuries to the loss of his brother and all that. Like I know that 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 can't be the reason to keep him, but it, it doesn't change the fact that I'm very very scared <laughs> for once he's gone. How Joel Embiid reacts to See, that? See, I'm on the other side of that. Like I I know Joel Embiid to this point in this season has been like very like I'm trying to be more mature. You know, I'm gonna be like a mature asshole. And kind of like walking that fine line between the two. Mm-hmm. But for me, I think like him putting his foot forward and realizing that he does need to become like more of a professional while also having the opportunity to like be silly and trash talk. Um, it's one of those things where I just look at it as like maturity. And I feel like, um, I feel like he he would take it hard at first but i don't think that he would look at it as like the organization not to say that you were saying this i don't think that the organization would be looked at as like screwing joel over like i think if anything like whatever has been going on hasn't been working and right. if he wants to win then you know you got to you got to try something yeah i don't know what would happen certainly want to wouldn't want to piss him off anymore but at the same time can't be afraid to pull the plug on something that right and that's i mean i don't i don't think that it would stop them and i and i don't think joel would would get remotely near like that jordan situation where jordan's like i won't play if if, if he's not my resume the season would you want brett back for another year or do you think that they should just move on like if there's if they don't even do the playoffs yeah if they stop right now then i i think i fire him okay yeah me too Yep. And and it feels weird, but like I I like he had to make a deep like I didn't care about the regular season. Like people were so upset we were a 6 seed and I still like the whole time I maintained for the most part that if they get in there with everybody available, then I'm fine. And if and if Brett takes him from a 6 seed to the Eastern Conference Finals, then I think he stays. Yeah. But but if he doesn't, then then I don't think he does. So you figure, okay, let's say they go if the if the six three is them in Boston, let's say like all the top four teams advance, but we beat Boston, then you're playing Toronto in the second round. If they lose to that Toronto team with no Kawhi in the second round again, he's fired to me. Yeah. So like. Assuming he made, like obviously a first round loss, he's fired. Second round loss, I'm pretty sure he's fired. And then third round, unless it's Milwaukee that beats you, you're fired. Like if they get there and it's the Heat, then he's fired if they lose that too. 
So like the only the furthest he can go and lose and maybe keep his job to me is losing to Milwaukee in the conference finals. Yeah. If he makes it to the NBA finals, he's back no matter what. And if he win, you know, and yeah, that's if he wins the championship, obviously he's back. So that's pretty much it. Lose to Milwaukee in the conference finals or or make the finals. I do think that there's a lot of truth to or I didn't want to go to the next topic without mentioning that I do agree that he's dealt with like his fair share of roster turnover. But I guess I mean, like, no, my no thing has ever seen anything like this. I don't think. Yeah, I guess my thing with that is that as a coach with that roster turnover, I get that you're trying to implement a system. Um, but I think we all like Brett's not stupid. We hear the way that he talks about basketball, how passionate he is about growing these, uh, you know, this team together. Uh, and I guess for me, I guess I would have loved to see more adjustments. And the thing that you mentioned that I slipped my mind because we haven't had basketball in seven years or what feels like seven years right now is yeah. the Glenn Robinson, Alec Burke thing. They came in and, yeah. and were not used to their strengths. They were used in areas that, you know, okay, well, we don't have a guy to play these minutes anymore. So go play sort of thing. Yeah, that that I definitely agree with, and that's exactly what it felt like. Is it was basically just like, okay, these minutes are available; they're yours. And so, well, what do I do? I don't know. Just go out there and play. And it's like, come on, like these these guys have a shot. These guys have enough talent that you need to you know draw some things up for them. Like, yeah, they're not the stars of the team, but they they both have skill sets that that could have made an immediate impact, which is why we were all so aggressively wanting it. And then it felt like. You know, Brett just didn't know how to use them, and it's like, yeah, maybe Glenn Robinson <laughs> during the process years like took a shit in Brett's Cheerios or something. <laughs> and it's like, if if you don't, if you're not going to be able to use these guys, and those conversations have to happen before the deals made, and that's the whole question of how this front office operates, which was another really great. Uh, you know, there's a lot of great insight in in that uh, tagging to the top book, which which I really enjoyed. Um. So, so the last thing I wanted to talk to you about was, you know, let's say they move forward, they they ramp everybody up, however long that takes through through another training camp or or whatever, and eventually they move on with the playoffs as is. Sixers currently would be the sixth seed going against Boston as the three seed, and let's say this is played at a neutral court. Before we even talk about Boston specifically, just in general, as 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 a team that lost what two games at home, maybe only one. I think they were like twenty and two or something at home. And terrible on the road. Yeah. What are your thoughts in general on a neutral location with no crowd? Do you think that in in the end that could benefit them more, hurt them more, or it's not really a, a it doesn't really matter that much to you? Uh, I do like I'm for ending the season now because I don't think that it would benefit them at all. I we've seen the road Sixers to, so 29 and two at home, 10 and 24 on the road. And we've seen Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid especially talk about how they feed off the energy in the Wells Fargo center. So I think they went straight into the playoffs that there would be a few games where we see like very high level of play, but I think we'll see this from the Sixers and other teams. I feel like the level of play will suffer because of their not being any fans i feel like even though these guys like are in it to win a championship like if there are no fans there like i i mean you, i'm sure you've played at an empty gym before like yep. after a little while like it gets oh. lonely and sure you're out there with like your coaches and your team and everything like that but 
again, for the Sixers, like we've seen them this year, I mean, they still have not found their identity with like less than 20 games to go. So I just feel like at this point, it's uh, I'd rather the cord get cut because I feel like any situation with no fans would not be to their advantage. Yeah, I honestly don't know where I stand on the situation, which is like a cop out. But I, like, I have several several things that weigh on me that that impact it. So, number one, I agree. I think that overall, it's bad for all teams because I think they would feed off the crowd, and I think just the level of basketball we would get would be uh, less than desired. So that I'm completely in agreement with. the The math part of me says that okay, the Sixers are the sixth seed, so you figure anybody they they would theoretically play at any point in these playoffs they're not going to have home court right so what if we're saying though well i'm I'm saying if it was normal right right yeah sorry so so theoretically if we're talking about how good they are at home and how bad they are on the road but they would always be playing more games on the road than at home then the neutral site thing might be a benefit if you just consider the math because odds are they were going to have to win at least one probably two games on the road and their record this season indicates that that wasn't very likely but I agree with you. I think the Sixers more than a lot of teams really feed off the crowd, which is indicated by their home record and how strong it was. And I feel like I like you know a team like Boston, a team like Toronto, like especially like those teams. Like I feel much better if I'm you know a fan of theirs about them going into a building with no crowd and still just handling their business. Yeah. And this Sixers team has given me no reason to believe that they can do that, whether it be the guys that have been here. And I don't believe have shown me that they can do it, nor the new guys that were brought in to try and fix those problems that this season clearly indicated that none of them really did that job. Yeah, I think if everything were regular and the playoffs were to start and we'd go up against the Celtics, like in uh, not having home court advantage, I'm not 100% sure that I would feel good about them getting out of round one. Yeah, it's it's very tough. So we we can jump into that a little bit more. But Boston, especially just as far as location, like I wouldn't trust this team to go into the Garden and win two games, and I wouldn't trust them to win all three at home. So you figure if they win two of three at home and one in the Garden, then they're losing in six or seven. Yeah. So like that that's scary to think about in itself. Uh, Boston is an opponent, so. Uh, what do you think, like in a, in a series with them in the first round, we'll say it goes that way. What do you think is, who do you think is the biggest problem for the Celtics for us? And then who do you think would be the biggest problem that we have to give to the Celtics? Um, I think the problem that would be for the Sixers would be like their fast guards. They've always had problems with the exception of like maybe a game this year covering guys like Kemba Walker. Um, I don't think Joel Embiid has Ennis Cantor's number, not this season. Like I, Joel Embiid, the clear better player, but I think Ennis Cantor is a very, very like serviceable, serviceable starting center. Um, but I mean, I think it would be Tatum and Kemba, Kemba Walker. I don't think that the Sixers defense has shown what we have wanted them to show. Like you get Al Horford and Josh Richardson, for the defense and Tobias Harris has been a better defender, but they're de- they, they've been a significantly worse defensive team this year than they have been in previous years. So I think that it would be any one of Tatum or, or Walker in terms of like the other way around. I really, like, I really don't know. 
I really don't know because the Celtics have done really well in the past of defending Ben Simmons. So if Ben Simmons like is a non-factor, then it doesn't really matter. Uh, I think it would have to be Embiid. It would have to be Embiid because other than that, we haven't seen what we want to see out of Harris or Horford. So, I mean, I feel like it's, it's tough to talk about, but I just, I'd like the Celtics are the better team and they have more ways to beat you. Yeah. The, the Embiid answer is, is I think the clear obvious. I don't think there's any other discussion to really have because when you look at the Celtics, I mean, they're, they're five biggest guys in minutes are, are all pretty small. Like Tatum's the biggest guy they have that that's playing starters minutes. Um, it's, it's Tatum, Hayward, Kemba, Brown, and Smart that are really their, their, their highest minute guys. Um, between like Tyson and, uh, and Cantor, like Cantor really fell off. I, I think he was coming off the bench for the second half of the season. So I think he usually kind of hangs in there against Embiid, but I think this season it was especially bad. The funny part about everything we're going to say about this is the Sixers went three and one against them this season. Yeah. Yeah. Yet, yet we're still worried, which the pass obviously gives us reason to be. Yeah. And but I think it's I mean, justified. I think the whole season just gives me reason to worry. I don't know for sure. Yeah, I I don't disagree at all. And like we said, we're we're both pretty uneasy on if they even get out of the first round in in this situation. But that that's the thing is this really like Embiid has had a lot of moments, but I think every single playoff series he's played in has had has had its question marks. Like it, it's either been that he's missed games or he's had you know complete garbage games, but then he's had good games. Like we both agree that Embiid would have to be the problem for the Celtics. Yeah. And like this would really be the one like you figure like the stars almost kind of align. Like he's had all this time off now. Do we know how his conditioning is? I don't know. Alton Brand says that he's been conditioning, that he has access to the facility, that you know, he like he played in that game against Detroit and absolutely went off. Like it looked like he had come back in, in pretty okay shape and they say that he's maintaining that. But you figure, you know, at least, you know, he should be completely like healthy. Like nothing should yeah. be bothering him. He's gotten the rest. Anything that was ailing him and then all you're going to do is ask him to kind of ramp up and then be able to just go in and say, hey, like, you know, I only have to play maybe, you know, 20 games now to win a championship. Like, why not just go out there and, and give it everything I fucking have? And you don't really have to worry about minutes restrictions or anything like for 20 games. Like, just let him go. Yeah. Um, there's no one on Boston that can stop him. Theoretically, there's no one in that starting five that can remotely match up with him. Uh, like that's the thing is I Embiid's the best player on either team, and they don't have anybody to stop him. So it, it's really hard for me to wrap my mind as much as how it all seems to point toward you know Boston probably being a bit of a favorite here. That unless we're going to get some kind of other you know asterisk that we have to put next to another Joel Embiid series, if he can just have the one where he plays every game and there's no stomach bugs, there's no ailing knees, there's no back issues, there's no wearing a mask then I don't know, man, like he could really, really like, you know, cement a name for himself as like the best big in basketball by just like thrashing that team yeah. that should have an answer for him. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with everything you said and uh, I still agree that it's Joel Embiid that has to be the guy. But again, up, up until this point this season, it's been Ben Simmons. So I feel like yeah. in order for Joel Embiid to be able to do what he does, Ben Simmons needs to, be effective and i think that goes without saying obviously but 
Yes, and their history against him has been very good. Although, again, only pointing to this season, Ben had a much better overall season against them than he had up until this point in his career. Um, I think that has a lot to do with the fact that they didn't have you know a guy like Al Horford there to to help defend on him. And while he's not the same as Embiid, I think that you know Boston really doesn't have an answer for him either as far as their roster this year. So that's the thing. It's just Ben and Embiid's size just really, really leans into the way that you would have to beat Boston. The way Boston wins that series and and possibly very convincingly is the fact that, you know, everybody I mentioned in that in that main five of theirs where you you know include Smart and Hayward as as starters, even though often they they have kind of come off the bench during the regular season, mm-hmm. is that all five of them shoot at least like thirty five percent from three. Tatum's basically at 40. Hayward is just shy of 40. Jalen Brown's 38. Walker's just shy of 38. And even Marcus Smart is is right at 35 for this season. So the problem is that nobody in the Sixers starting five can, I think, shoots better than Marcus Smart. Uh, maybe Tobias Harris. Uh, I think he's the only one that is above that. And I don't think he's very much above it. It's really sad to think about the fact that Tobias Harris and Marcus Smart are comparable three-point shooters at this point (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's the reaction i expected (laughs) yep um so that's the thing i think that that series really comes down to can the sixers you know force the celtics off the line and are the celtics just hot from three or not if the celtics shoot the three at their average i don't think the sixers can keep up with them yeah but if if brett can implement a, a way that you know you're forcing tatum to take to start playing like Kobe Bryant, which he loves to try to do. But when he does that, that's when he has those nights where he goes like three of 20. Yeah. Um, is when you force him to shoot those baseline fadeaways, those turnarounds, which, like, God bless him. He hits a few of them, but like, you'll take that shot every time. You have to get him into those and not surrender, you know, the corner threes that we wish Tobias Harris was shooting for us instead. Yep. Yep. Totally. Um, so I guess if we're just talking, you know, our thoughts on this, you know, I think we kind of answered it, but just on the record, you know, if this is what happens as far as it looks now, um, and again, assuming, you know, Ben is, is available and for the most part healthy, um, you know, who, who, who would you predict right now in this series? If, if neutral site, seven game series, no, no regular season, no play in bonus stuff, just the 16 teams. This is the first real contest you have coming out of the ramp up period is six or Celtics seven game series neutral court <sighs> nobody's gonna listen to my podcast if I don't pick the Sixers damn it <laughs> uh, I, uh, uh, I'm gonna go Celtics and six Celtics and six wow I'm going with my gut. I don't like my yeah. gut. I fucking hate no, my I know. gut. I want to do the Sixers. I get it. Nothing. I get it. Nothing has convinced me to make he, me believe he, that would happen. Here's how I'll put it so I can cop out, but not really. If you told me, like, I'm going to lose a finger if I get it wrong, I think I would take the Celtics in seven. I really do. Because I just don't trust this team with the pressure, or like, and and sadly, I could see it being a series where the Sixers are up three two and blow the last two. Mm. They can't put them away. Like it has to be the most heartbreaking way that it goes. Of course, of course. But if I'm like betting it, 
one, I think Celtics would be favored. So the money, the better money would be on the Sixers. And Sixers and seven makes so much sense because of the Embiid discussion we had. Like, it's really just hard for me to believe that Joel Embiid doesn't average like 32 points a game in that series. And if he does that and everybody else is just like their average, like Tobias gets you 20, Ben gets you 17, Josh Richardson gets you 16, 17, and Horford just exists and gets like, 10 6 and 5 yeah like on average like i think you win i really think that you win but it's it's just like you know i've had i've believed in Joel Embiid since we drafted him and i'm still just like you know we get these glimpses we get these flashes and that's what's so frustrating is we've seen him be you know a top 3 player in this league at, at his absolute best but how often can we get that can he ever do it for a complete series like i think this is the time he has to do it before the questions get even worse and more annoying than they already are between like can these two play together can you build around Joel Embiid can can you deal with his his conditioning and his injury history like at some point, I want him to just want that. I like. I know he wants it all to end, but I want him to want it so bad that he acts on it. Yeah, and, it, and this would be such goes, a perfect time to do it. It goes without saying that it's just like obviously Joel Embiid cannot beat the Celtics by himself, and that's where right. Even if the if he's the best player in the series, I feel like a whole lot else needs to fall into place in order for it to happen. Yeah, I mean, I guess it depends how far and away he is the best player in the series. But yeah, yeah I mean, um, you doubt like if he's the best player in the series. That, that's what I think if he's the best player in the series, you can you just need Ben to be like like average to slightly above average Ben. You don't need him to 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 do what he did against average, like, the like Nets fourteen or fifteen and, so. and play defense. Right. Yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. So like, as long as you're not getting him scoring zero points in the in in the garden again. Then I think it's fine. I don't think you need Ben to to go crazy, you know, overboard as well as Embiid to beat them. I don't think the Celtics are that good. Uh, I don't like. I don't think they're as good as they were either the past two years. So, yeah. And I think that we're still, as far as just being built for the playoffs, I think we're probably not better than last year's team. But most of the East isn't as good as it was. La- I don't think any of the East is honestly as good as it was last year. Well, I think Miami's uh, better, but well, they're better than they were. But I don't think they're better than the top teams last year. Oh right, right, right. You know what I mean? Like I think the all, all the teams that are at the top have all kind of scaled down, and I would argue that like our scale scale down is probably a little less, considering that like you know, we at least tried to swap in somewhat even talent and definitely bolstered the depth better than we ever really had. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. It's tough, but it's at least exciting to think about the the potential of it. Even if we're sitting here dreading a first round exit, it's just like exciting to know that it's potentially on the horizon. Again, to, to be very clear, like all this is still speculative. Elton said that they don't actually have anything set in stone. He did say that like they're not going to rush back, that it's going to be based off of data and not based off of dates. So they're not just going to set a date and act on it. It's going to be based on, you know, data telling them they can do it. It will be safe. Um, you know, that they can pull everything off. Like we said, the logistics of, of so many of these things is, is so much more complicated than, than a lot of people think of. And, and it's way too much for us to break down the entire thing or, or offer any kind of real, real game plan on. Cause you know, I think, I think we're both pretty smart guys, but that, that's a bit fucking much. <laughs> um, yep. Right. 
but I, I, I really believe that that they're gonna go straight to the playoffs. I have the feeling that they're just gonna freeze it as is. So I, I think I think we're gonna see that Celtics series. Uh, we probably didn't make anybody too excited for it, but uh, I, I will at least give you that. I am really really hopeful that what's being said about Joel Embiid by Elton Brand is true, and that you know we did get to see the one game that that showed that you know he he looked like he was kind of back to his former self i know it was detroit but you had to come out in the first game after you've been gone for a while and have that kind of performance was very encouraging and like i said I, i'm choosing to believe that this rest time is good for him and then being able to jump straight into the playoffs fully rested fully healed and know that you can pretty much just kind of burn yourself out for you know 15 to 20 games and then know that you are then going to get a bunch of time off again is like maybe the best thing that could happen to a guy like Joel Embiid. Yeah. I mean, I didn't think of it that way, so I could be wrong about everything. Uh, I mean, I'm, we're both probably wrong about a lot of this, but Hey, what the hell, man, it's fun. It's speculation. And it's something to take our minds off what's going on, uh, you know, during this quarantine session. Uh, Brandon, before I get you out of here, is there anything else you want to plug? Anything you want to discuss? No, you said everything at the beginning. Um, again, appreciate you having me on. I have, uh, done a five-star review of process potables. So I am hoping that you get up to hundred. Is that the next milestone? Hundred? Yeah. I didn't check today. We were at like 98. So I don't know. Maybe. We'll find out. So yeah, uh, appreciate the plugs at the beginning. Uh, the Garbage into Gold is the podcast I host with my friend Jesse Larch. Uh, we're currently doing uh, process redrafts because content is needed, and that's the content that we thought about. So the next episode, we're going to be talking about um, the 2015 draft, the Jaleel Okafor draft. Lots of lots of duds in that one. Where TJ McConnell went undrafted and might actually be like a top 15 pick after all of this crazy crazy to think about but yeah thanks for having me i appreciate the plugs early on when can people expect that one to to likely be out uh we'll be recording that on thursday may the 7th so i would say either the 8th or the 9th awesome yeah we're at 99 so that is killing me right now so thanks for bringing it up yeah All right, Brandon. Well, appreciate you coming on. Uh, thanks a lot. Shout out to Design Tree hosting our store. Shout out to the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway, the sponsor of the pod. Again, check out Garbage in the Gold. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the same places you find us. Leave us both a five-star rating and a review so I can stop harassing everybody to get us to 100 and begin harassing everybody to get us to 200. Uh, thanks for listening. We will have Just do 100, 110. 115 <laughs> then you can feel good about the small accomplishments right yeah that that's probably a better bet because it'll probably be like 2025 by the time we get to 200 um we will still have our regular episode later this week where we, we review the last dance episode seven and eight as well as anything else that comes up on the in between uh for brandon i'm dan thanks everybody for listening and trust the podcast 